Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Our reading today is from Matthew And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Our second reading is from the book of Mark, 12, 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nicole, and thanks, uh, worship team. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your your spirit. We thank you that your word and your spirit work together in our lives to lead us to know Jesus and to walk in his way. Help us to be people who walk according to the word of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, And in the works of Jesus, help us to be people who are Jesus to others. Lord, I pray this morning for those here who are visiting, we pray that you would encourage them that they might hear your word. I pray that you would open our ears for those who are regular attendees that we might hear your word to us this morning. And we might be people who not just hear it, but be people who do it and act upon it. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to hear. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the course of my life, uh, I've invested a lot of money in things that don't last. I bought record players. Remember those things? I bought cassette players. I bought CD players. I bought ghetto blasters. I bought portable Walkmans. I bought iPods. And all of them, that's just the things I've, I've bought just to listen to music. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, I've got a tub here. We'll have the camera on that tub, thanks, Evan, if we can. I've got a tub here that uh, it's just a small representation of things that I've invested hard-earned treasure in, and uh, none of it's bad. It's all good stuff. I loved it. A lot of it good stuff, a lot of it helpful, a lot of it useful. But none of it has lasted that long. And none of it will last forever. And I wish that I could tell you that I bought everything this morning, but I haven't. That would be a lie. Uh, in fact, the only other day, Wendy and I, were, we, we, we worked out that uh, we realised that we have three laptops that we bought about eight to ten years ago, and um, they're actually now virtually useless because you can't update the operating system in them. They, you can't sort of then use other programs on them that have been updated. And so once what was considered sort of like the top of the range is now on the way to becoming a boat anchor and not really a very good one at that. In fact, the guy who... Um, and so nobody wants to last in things that don't... No one wants to invest in things that don't last, do they? It's, it's frustrating. And uh, we want to aspire to living with purpose. We, uh, we want to invest our money in things that last... And in fact, the guy that invented this computer, uh, Steve Jobs, he wanted his stuff to revolutionise the world, didn't he? In fact, uh, he's the founder, Steve Jobs is the founder of the Apple Computing Company. And uh, when he was actually looking for a business par partner to take his business further, he had this great vision to change the world. He, he, uh, he gave a guy called John Scully a call. And John Scully was actually the... Uh, the CEO of Pepsi-Cola, you know, the second sort of big soft drink company in the world. And he said this to John Scully. He said, uh, hey, John, I want you to come and work for me. He said, but do you want to spend, do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life? <laughs> or do you want to come with me and change the world? Well, Here's the thing, folks, as good as the Apple products are, and they are good, I bought into that cult, none of them last forever. None of them actually last for as long as you want them to, and definitely none of them actually last forever. And look, here's the thing, I actually imagine that all of you have got tubs of stuff at home like this, don't you? <laughs> uh, maybe even a garage full of them. And uh, like me, most of you have bought into that vision of how each of these things can help us or how it can add to your life, but now your tub of junk, just like mine, is gathering dust, waiting to become landfill. 
And so Jesus challenged people to see their lives as more than a sum total of, uh, of the stuff that they buy and accumulate. And so Jesus tells us that we need to have a bigger vision of life and we need to invest our money. In fact, we need to invest our entire lives in, uh, in things that truly last forever. And so this is a challenge for us, uh, not just for followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, not just a challenge for them, but it's a challenge for us each day as well. It's a challenge to reorientate our lives so that we invest our money in things that last and not just pursue things uh, that give us pleasure and comfort for a short time or that we know are just going to gather dust in five or ten years' time. And so key to how we use our money is actually our vision for life. And we all have a vision for life. We all have a life vision. You might not be aware of your life vision. Perhaps you've not even thought about that. Oh, do I really have a life vision, mate? I thought I was just living. But Jesus said that we can know accurately what our vision of life is by looking at what we do with our money. He famously said, more famous than Steve Jobs' quote, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For where your treasure is, there your heart will, also, will be also. Sorry. Now, we don't talk a lot about money from the platform here at NPBC. And, uh, you know, talking about money is a little bit uncomfortable. It's a bit like going to a dinner party and, you know, someone talks about, starts talking about politics or religion or sex. You sort of think, oh, where's this going to go? <laughs> but Jesus, the fact is Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, in the Bible, 15% of Jesus' teachings are on the topic of money and treasure, which is more than he spoke actually about the topics of heaven and hell combined. And have you ever wondered why Jesus spoke so much about money? Well, it's not because money is evil. He talks about money because he doesn't want his followers to, uh, to be held captive by an inadequate vision of life or to pursue a vision that doesn't satisfy or to invest in things that just don't last. Instead, he wants us to be captivated by his vision of life, enthralled by his radical kingdom. Are you enthralled by Jesus' radical kingdom? Because in that radical kingdom, people are being transformed to live forever in his presence and in his glory. Now, we're currently in a series uh, looking at the seven commitments for people who belong to a growing faith, uh, community of faith. And so all these seven commitments that we're talking about each week, we talk about one each week, we're up to number five this week. They're all important and they're all important for us to grasp and take hold of so that we can be a, uh, a growing, vital and healthy community in Jesus' image. And so these are commitments that we believe are important for us to be God's people in this community. And we want everyone, and my encouragement is for everyone who's a regular attendee or a member of this church to actually grasp these and to put them into practice. And so, so far we've looked at, the first one was um, cultivating encouragement, wasn't it? We looked at what it means to be people who are encouragers. 
And the second one was engaging in service. And that's why we had that big list of all those things. And people responded really well. And then we had deepening connection. Remember the Bluetooth thing, that we need to be Bluetoothing with God and Bluetoothing with one another because that's the sort of connection that a community of faith needs. And then last week, Nathan talked about unity in a really good message that, uh, that uh, encouraged us to be seekers of unity rather than division. And so Don has created a beautiful banner out in the foyer, and I want to encourage you to look at that banner as you go out to morning tea because all of, those, all of the seven commitments are on there, even the ones I haven't talked about yet. And what I want you to do is I want you to encourage you to have a look at that, even take a picture of it and reflect on it in the week as you go about your own private time of prayer or reading the Bible and have a think about that. And so today we continue on and our fifth commitment, which is a commitment to releasing our earthly resources for eternal consequences. That's our fifth commitment. And so in his letter to the Corinthians, which, um, <clears throat> which was read by Nicole, Paul praises the Macedonian church, a church that he planted. And uh, he praises it because he says this is an example uh, of a community who are committed to using their earthly resources for doing things that are going to have eternal consequences. And he's writing his letter not to the Macedonians. He's not saying, oh, thanks, guys. He's actually writing to another church. He's writing to the Corinthian church because he wants to prompt them to be like the Macedonians. And so Macedonia, that's actually where Paul and Silas went. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. Uh, they, uh, when they were in their sort of missionary band, moving through sort of uh, Western Turkey as it is today, Paul gets this famous vision in which it's like in a dream. He, he dreams about a man from Macedonia, the Macedonian man who pleads with him and his, and his group to come over and tell them uh, the good news about Jesus. And so Paul and his group, they respond to this vision and they go to a town called Philippi, which is a city in Macedonia, and they began to teach about Jesus. And guess what? People respond. People hear the message and respond. And, uh, and so Paul and his friends stay on in Philippi because people, more and more people are being transformed by that teaching and by that ministry. And in that group of first responders is a woman named Lydia. She's one of my favourite characters in the Bible. She was, seems like to be a businesswoman. But her life's so transformed by this message that she invites Paul and his group of friends to come and use her house as a base. These guys were hungry. There was probably a big group of them. And so she would have fed them and found beds for them and and uh, basically said, stay as long as you, as you can. And it seems that she became a long-term supporter of their ministry. But there are other people transformed in Macedonia as well. There was a girl who was being used by men for money. She was being used to tell people's fortunes and she had been somehow possessed by the spirit that gave her that ability. And one day while Paul was walking through the town of Philippi, this woman, this young girl had been sort of you know, shouting out different things about Paul, telling truth about Paul that was sort of you know, not really helpful for what he was trying to do. And one day he had enough and he prayed a prayer that delivered that young girl from that, uh, that spiritual 
oppression. And uh, it, it, it ended up that Paul and Silas were thrown into prison because of that. And then she was released. She was transformed. But then in prison, while they're singing and praising God at night, they're chained up and beaten for what they did by a jailer. There's this massive earthquake and the jail breaks down and, the, and consequently the jailer comes to know Jesus himself through the witness of Paul and Silas. It's an amazing story. The world in Macedonia was effectively turned upside down by people responding to Jesus and by Paul and Silas and crew following the vision of Jesus. But Macedonia was a poor place, really poor. Uh, people uh, who began to follow Jesus, apart from people like Lydia, were mainly poor people. They, you could think that, uh, that, that their poverty would actually limit their ability to give support, wouldn't you, to the work of sharing the gospel. But, but the transformation which Jesus brought in them actually affected every area of their life including what they did with their money. And so even the Macedonian Christians were not well off. Uh, they were so poor, they wanted, but they wanted to be part of Paul's ministry and his project of helping a suffering church uh, in Jerusalem. And so they made, uh, made this a priority in their lives. And so sort of Paul comments on their generosity in his letter to the Corinthians because they'd given beyond what would have been expected given their situation. And Paul says it like this. This is uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, in Corinthians uh, 8 verse 2. It says, In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Paul says they gave beyond their ability. <laughs> That's a funny saying, isn't it? Being poor themselves, they sacrificed, probably going without in order to contribute to the work that Paul uh, and, his, and his people were doing and to the needs of the Jerusalem church. And so when we hear that, we think, oh, that's a bit weird. You know, maybe we even think, oh, that's a little irresponsible. Why would they do that? Maybe we even think, oh, well, you know, giving, uh, giving beyond their ability, that's not very middle class, is it? Why would they do that? And Paul says he didn't compel them to do this. He hadn't given them a guilt trip. He hadn't put any pressure on them. He said the Macedonians effectively were led by to be generous by the power of the Holy Spirit who gave them a spirit of generosity. And later on he talks about cheerfulness in giving. He says they became cheerful givers. And so even Paul's surprised by the Macedonians' contribution. But he doesn't just put it down to a sort of rush of blood to the head or emotions or guilt. They begged Paul to let them give to the project, not because it was Paul's project, but because it was the Lord's work, he says. 
And this is, why Paul tell, this is what Paul tells us in verse 5, they, what, why they were doing it. He says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And this is also the starting place for us using our earthly resources for eternal purposes as well. You'll never be able to give sacrificially, sacrificially, you'll never be able to give sacrificially and consistently unless you are captivated by the Lord's vision for what he's doing in the world and what he wants to do in the world through his church. Things that will last forever. And so the reason that we uh, commit so much of our earthly treasure and money to, to this sort of stuff is because we're captivated by the vision we are given for the stuff that we buy, aren't we? We're captivated by that. We're told that it will fulfill us, it will satisfy us, and we're scared that if we don't give our money away, we're actually scared of giving our money away to other things because then we won't have enough and we won't be satisfied in this world. But look around at the junk that we have, that you have, that I have, and it seems to me that we have enough. And we can always talk ourselves out of giving first of all to the Lord, can't we? I've done that in my life. We can say to ourselves, well, I'm not in a position to give right now. I'm, I'm on a pension. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm on minimum wage. I have a mortgage. And the point that Paul is stressing to the Corinthians who are well off compared to the Macedonians is that it's not really about the amount of money that you give, you see. It's about the orientation of your heart and to whose vision of life you're committing yourself to. That's what it's about, friends. It's about whose vision of life you're committing yourself to. And so Jesus emphasised this one day when visiting the temple in Jerusalem. And so while watching people giving their offerings, he saw a relatively well off people giving large amounts of money to the temple offering. But then he, uh, he noticed a poor widow come forward and just give two small copper coins, the, the minimum amount of money you could give. And surprisingly, Jesus praised the widow, telling his disciples that she'd given far more than anyone else because she'd actually given everything she had, whereas everyone who was well off had been giving from their excess. And so according to our modern sensibilities, many of us think that the widow, that she was foolish, don't we? But Jesus didn't criticise her. He commended her because she showed through her giving of those two small copper coins that she embraced God's kingdom vision, not merely as a side interest, you see, but as an all-satisfying treasure that she sought for herself, but which she also sought for other people, because that's how that money would be used. You see, the widow didn't just put in small change she had, that she had in her pocket. She didn't just go, oh, what, what have I got? Two coins were not tokenism. She also didn't put in the offering what was left over at the end of the week or the end of the month. She came to the temple with the intention of giving everything she had, which is what Jesus commended her for. 
She gave sacrificially from her resources because she believed that they would be used in a way that would have eternal consequences. Wendy and I know the power of the widow's two copper coins firsthand. You see, we, uh, for the record, I don't know what anyone, I only know what two people in this church give in their offering each week, for the record. That's Wendy and myself. And sometimes I think she's probably putting in more. I don't know what anyone else gives, and I don't want to know. That's between you and God. Okay, this is all between you and God. But over the years, Wendy and I have raised support so that we can actually do our work in Malawi. We worked in Malawi for 20 years as cross-cultural workers, and we, uh, we uh, used to receive <clears throat> every so often lists of people who gave money to support that ministry and the amounts they gave. There were large donors, some very large donors, but there are also lots of, uh, lots of people who, gave, who, who were not well off who gave also to, to that project. There were, and we knew them. There were people, uh, working people with mortgages, retired people, widows, widowers, students, single parents who gave different amounts of support to the work. Some would give $100 a month. Some would give $20 a month. Some would give $25 a quarter And you know, when I first saw those lists in Malawi, I wanted to cry because I, I knew some of the people and their circumstances. They were not giving from their excess. They were like the Macedonians, many of them, who were giving sacrificially, not out of guilt, but because they believed they were giving to something that would actually have eternal consequences. And it has. Today in Malawi, because of that money, because of $25 a quarter, there are Yao people who know and follow Jesus. There are people in the kingdom because people gave their earthly resources to people like Wendy and I and others so that we could live and work there and share with them the hope of Jesus. And we could do other projects like the dictionary project we've been doing which would help their children. And so as... as as at this church, we also, our goal is to join Jesus in his mission to the world, and which, which we believe will actually have a transforming impact on people's lives. That's what we believe. I believe it right in here. That's why I'm here. And so last Sunday at our members' meeting, we presented this proposal to add another day to Nathan's work. Nathan works three days a week. And we wanted to add a fourth day to that because we, we've got this idea that we want Nathan to engage with youth and young adults who don't necessarily come to this church, who don't know anything about this church. <clears throat> we want him to get alongside people. We want him to share the love and hope of Jesus with them. We want, him, we want to see people's lives transformed by the love and grace of God. It's a great vision, isn't it? And the great work, and I, I believe that it's going to have eternal consequences. <clears throat> where does the money for that come from? Well, where does the money come to pay for that vision? Well, it comes from us. It comes from, from this community. It will come from people in our church. And it will come as we catch the vision together to see 
that what we're on about here is having eternal consequences. That's what we want to see. Could someone get me a glass of water, please? <clears throat> it will come when it will come uh, <clears throat> when we allow our hearts to be reorientated by God's Spirit to His vision. Just like the Macedonians were reorientated to that vision, and just like the widow was reorientated to the vision of seeing other people entering the kingdom. In praising the widow, Jesus wasn't saying that we all need to give everything away or that we should all be poor or that we should never gain wealth. He wasn't saying that at all. The point that Jesus makes in praising the widow is that we need to make our life like hers and that we need to take faith-filled risk for the glory of God. Thank you. We need to take faith-filled risk for the glory of God because only Jesus' vision is a worthwhile investment. Everything else fades. Everything else gathers dust. And we have a vision here at Mooney Ponds Baptist. And so God is giving us a vision to be a community of disciples who make disciples, who share the love of Jesus in word, sign and deed with our community. It's a great vision, a transformative vision that I believe will have eternal consequences if we grasp it together as a community and give to it. And the challenge that Jesus gave his disciples and which Paul gave to the Corinthian church is therefore our challenge today, which is that we are to give to God and his ministry the first fruits of our earthly resources, not just what's left over. And we're to take faith-filled risk with the earthly resources for eternal consequences. Friends, let's let's not be like the the African-American church uh, who, uh, when their pastor got really excited, like I'm getting a bit excited this morning, he he got excited about what he saw God wanting to do in their church and so at the, at, as the pastor got to the end of his sermon, in his excitement, he put out this challenge to the congregation saying, this church has really got to walk. And you know, in the African-American style, people respond. And so one, one person yelled from the back, let her walk, preacher. Let her walk. And then the preacher continued. He said, if this church is going to go, it's got to learn to run. And someone else yelled from the back in another place, let her run, preacher, let her run. And feeling that the congregation was now really with him, he said, in an even louder voice, if this church is going to go, it's got to learn to fly. And someone yelled back, let her fly, preacher, let her fly. And then the preacher spoke with even greater passion and said to the church, if this church is really going to fly, it's going to need money. Then there was a long silence. (laughs) Then an old man at the back yelled out, let her walk, preacher. Let her walk. Let's not be like that church. This is why we need not only to grasp God's vision, but we also, friends, we need to learn to act in faith. You see, giving is an act of faith. 
Giving, all, giving of all earthly resources is always an act of faith because it requires us to trust God to provide for us enough as we give our earthly resources away. You see, if the Macedonians believe, believers had sat down and thought about their situation, they might have been able to talk themselves into keeping their earthly resources for themselves. They might have said, well, I've got bills to pay. <laughs> I'm paying off a mortgage. I have a car loan. Oh, I want a holiday next year. I like to eat out. But they didn't because they had experienced God's amazing grace, his transformation and his provision, and they, they knew they knew in their heart of hearts they couldn't outgive God when they were giving in obedience and in faith. And time and time again in the Bible, we see God providing for his people when they actually step out in faith and trust him. Faith-filled risk for the glory of God. When Elijah the prophet was told by God to pray for rain, to stop falling in Israel because of the sin of Israel, the continued sin, he was actually impacted by his own prayer. God told him to go into the wilderness to an area near the Jordan River and he instructed the ravens to come and feed him there, which they did for a time. But then after a time, even that stream <laughs> dried up and uh, <clears throat> then he in instructed Elijah to go to a widow in Sidon. A widow. Why didn't he instruct him to go to a rich person? She wasn't even a Jew, which makes the story even more amazing. So when Elijah turns up in her village, he meets this widow at the gate and he says to her, he asks her for a drink of water and some bread. And she's a bit taken back and she says, see these sticks here? <laughs> See these sticks, I'm going home and I'm going to light a fire with them. I'm going to take a little bit of flour that I've got left and a little bit of oil. I'm going to cook a loaf of bread. I'm going to eat that loaf of bread with my son and then we're going to die. What was Elijah's response? Well, let me tell you, I don't think you would want Elijah as your pastor. I don't think you'd even want him as your friend. He didn't say, oh, Okay, I'll talk to someone else. He said to her, don't be afraid. Go and make that bread, but bring me some of that bread first and then eat what's, what remains with your son. But he said, me first. But what he was saying is God first. That's what he was saying. And that sounds shocking to our modern sensibility. It sounds but it sounds shocking until you actually understand what's behind Elijah's comments. You see, Elijah hadn't just thought up this plan. He's not like an, a widow abuser. He hadn't just thought up this plan. He's not insensitive of asking the widow for, more, for food. You see, God was at work in the life of this widow. God had directed that widow to feed Elijah because he, he wants everyone to know that he's actually the one who supplies the flour and he's the one who supplies the oil. He's the God who supplies our needs and he does that even through poor widows. And so Elijah told the widow that the jar of flour would not be used up and the jug of oil would not run dry until the Lord sent rain. And so the, the widow believed Elijah. 
But ultimately, she was believing the vision of God as the provider, as the king, the ruler, the sovereign one, the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills, who presented her, to her his vision for eternity. And everything happened as Elijah told her. There was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her son until the rains came again. Friend, what's holding you back from giving your earthly resources for ministry that will have eternal consequences? Is it because you have been caught up with a vision for earthly things, for things that promise to satisfy but which never last? It's a challenge, isn't it? This will always be a temptation. It's my temptation and it will be yours as well. This is a temptation we all face, but, what, but one that we need to ask God to help us deal with on a daily basis, I believe. And I think that we need to bring our junk to Jesus. We need to present to him the visions and ideas that we've been sold about the things that we have invested in that won't last forever, that won't even last a decade. And I, I reckon... I reckon that we actually need to take them. We need to take our ideas and our things and actually we need to put them at the foot of the cross. All of them. You probably didn't come with your stuff this morning. But perhaps you can place them at the foot of the cross yourself now. Won't you do that this morning? <clears throat> I want to do that. I want to do that with my stuff, with my short-term visions for things that don't last. But that's only part of what Jesus calls us to do, you see. We also need to ask God to give us a new vision. His vision, so that like the Macedonians, like the two widows in the stories that I've talked about this morning, we can actually take faith-filled risks with what we have been given according to his guidance. And we always need to be seeking the Lord's guidance on these things. You see, it doesn't take the widow's coins to fulfil Jesus' kingdom vision. It actually takes the widow's attitude and the widow's trust. It takes her kind of faith. That's the kind of faith I want. And that's the kind of faith I want to encourage you to have. That's the kind of faith Jesus wants you to have. I want to encourage you today to ask Jesus to reorientate your heart to his vision for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven so that he would use you and he will use me as his partners for that vision, for his work. You might think, well, I'm, I'm catching the vision, Pastor, but I'm still afraid. All right, I have little to give. But the thing is, the size of your giving is not the point, as we've already said. It's your heart's orientation that will enable you to give from what the Lord provides. In fact, there's a promise in Malachi 3.10. He says, he told, he challenged Israel, the prophet challenged Israel, he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing 
that there will not be room enough to store it. You see, I believe that's a, that's a vision for our church, but I believe that that's a vision for us as well. Do you trust God enough to open the floodgate of heaven, the storehouse of heaven in your life? Paul suggests a way that we can tackle this problem that works today. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, wonderful, he told the Corinthians how they could be like the Macedonians. It's very practical. He said they could be like the Macedonians and using their earthly resources for eternal consequences. He said to them, set aside on the first day of the week a sum of money in keeping with their income. Then he said, save it. And when I come, I won't need then to ask you for other to, to contribute because you'll already have the money ready and waiting. And so this is a way that Wendy and I go about our giving so that it will have eternal consequences. We set aside 10% of our income each week before we use it so that uh, it's the first fruits of what the Lord has already given to us. And so 10% is not an exact science, but it seems a fairly accepted amount of giving from our resources for ministry and mission that will have eternal consequences. I guarantee you the widow gave more than 10%, and I think the Macedonians were giving more than that as well. But I want to praise God for them, for their faith. That was something they were called to do. But the thing is, if, if every one of us actually gave 10% of our regular income, we would have more money than we need for the work of the Lord in this place. We would, have, we would be able to utilise that in so many different ways. You see, because every one of us can give 10%. A person who gets a high salary, a person who's retired, a person who's a student, a person who's on a pension. You see, 10% of $50 a week is $5. 10% of $100 is $10. 10% of 1000 is $100. 10% of 10000 is $1,000. Friends, I believe that we are able to easily support the ministry and mission that the Lord has called us to as a church. But right now, right now, we are not able to support the ministry and mission of our church. We're actually, we're actually living on money that was saved years ago. We're drawing on money that the church has saved and it's running out. I want to invite the band to come up. <clears throat> Let us, as we sing our final song, I want you to enter into this in an attitude of reflection. <clears throat> let's use it to help us. Uh, let's ask God in this in this, in this song, we use it as a prayer to ask God to help us use our lives, including our earthly resources, for his kingdom purposes so that people's lives will be changed for eternity. And as we do this, as we do this, we won't then come to the end of our lives looking at our stuff. gaining dust and wonder whether it was a good investment or not. We'll look at what God has done through our investment in His ministry. 
and we'll rejoice in what God has done through this church. We'll rejoice that we have been part of it, not building up tubs of dust-covered junk, but investing in transforming people's lives in people orientated towards God, people who are living out Jesus' way so that others can be transformed as well. Friend, don't you want that? I want to see that. It's a great vision. It's the greatest vision you can imagine. It's a real vision and I believe a a vision worth giving everything for. It's a vision that Jesus is inviting us to join. Won't you start today?